0: Hi everyone, this is episode three and it's all about smoking and e-cigarettes. I'm Catherine.
1: And I'm Andrew. And this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So, good morning Catherine. How are how are you today? How's your weekend?
0: I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. I've had a headache all weekend, three kids, and I seem to be feeling a bit better now. They're now at school and they've gone away. <laughs> <laughs> I miss them terribly, but <laughs> only half an hour I've already missing them. But oh, it feels just nice. Nice to chill out, actually, and have a podcast. It's yeah. so nice. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not so good this morning. As I, as I said just before we came on air, my so my, my grandma uh, passed away this morning. She was 96. Um so I still nevertheless had the chat with my mum about how surprising and shocking it is um, in this context. So I think she is a smoker of about 70 years. Um, but in reality, she was just like a fantastic independent woman who reinvented herself various times through the ages. Um, probably the least uh, or the most recently when my granddad died 20 years ago. And, and she definitely had as much fun in her last 20 years as she did in her first 75. So um, yeah in spite of working around all of this it still always comes as a surprise i think at at any age when it happens to someone you you know and love but um good to get good to get into technical things as as i think many people find work's a good place to kind of hide and and let let those thoughts go in the background so well
0: yeah yeah. well i'm sure obviously for myself and i'm sure for everybody who's listening obviously we all pass over our sincere thoughts and hugs and everything you're just going to get so many virtual hugs sent down this to you and everything and um And obviously to your mum as well and to all your aunties and everything it's not a not an easy situation at all thank you so we have our truth or lie feature um and i haven't actually checked the twitter poll in all fairness because i think the last time i checked there was a whole of two people had responded and i think one of them may have been you andrew so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe Twitter polls aren't my thing. I could do other bits of social media, just not the polls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm committed to the podcast, yeah. I'm definitely committed to the podcast. And I know that you are the, the, the more things don't work, the more determined you are to make them work. So um, if anyone thinks ignoring this feature will make it go away, they are they're sadly mistaken. Um, I, think my, I think my truth or lie last time was that I am a bit of a night owl and that um, I haven't been to bed before midnight in the last four years.
0: But yeah, mine was um, that my family consider this. will say that I am the mixture of being quite smart, but having la- no common sense, and that I can't operate push-pull doors. And I've had people tell me, again, which one, who they think, which of us. They all think that I'm telling the truth now, which I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of insulted that people think I can't operate push-pull doors. But um, do you want to give your answer as to whether or not you're telling the truth or not?
1: So, so mine is an absolute lie. I, I was going to say I haven't been up past midnight in the last four years. I, I, I've always been an early riser, and all the more so after kind of kids and everything. Um, so nowadays I tend to do, you know, wake up, do an hour's work, and then be kind of making noise outside the kids' doors, wanting to play with them.
0: See, I sneak. I'm I'm a sneaker. so I'm like, don't wake them. Just don't wake them.
1: <laughs> oh no! I, I just want people to play with. Um, so, <laughs> This podcast, I am definitely lying, which I guess means
0: yes, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Um, basically, if I go up somewhere and there's obviously I can't remember, I can even think what they are the revolving doors that you can get in <laughs> those ones, I'm quite happy with. Um, push pull doors, I have no idea what it is, and I do it. But I've, I've got this thing, and I've had it since I was a kid where my mum said I was an unusual child because you know, when you get like as a and I'm thinking of this because I've got a two year old, and you've got those like. Um, shape sorters, and there's like you have to get a circle in the circle and the square within, you know. Yes. Um, I never worked with them well in the sense, and I'm sure people can probably appreciate this knowing me. I would always try and force the square into the circle shape and refuse to put it in the square, and I would literally get the hammer and just bang it at it repeatedly <laughs> until. It eventually didn't do what I wanted to do and then I just shook my shoulders and just go well I didn't want to go in there anyway and I'd walk <laughs> off from it <laughs> so so if you see me anyone if I'm going anywhere and you see me coming near a door you know just please don't just stand and wait and laugh, to laugh at me and um, try and maybe help me <laughs> I'll just picture Mine. yourself
1: throwing yourself at <laughs> a window <now laughs> in that shape or So, so it's something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not?
0: Maybe we should just get I should just get slides everywhere. If all buildings could just have slides, I'm probably the only person that would like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah, I, I must admit I'd love to be surprised, but um I'm I'm struggling to kinda to, to find that emotion.
0: Mm. Mm. <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about e-cigarettes, vaping and everything like that and I think this is going to be a really interesting one because you are completely and utterly leading this I know very little about this I did used to smoke All gasps of horror everywhere because I basically, um, my well hopefully my mum won't listen to this because she'll hate me saying this but I used to, obviously when I was younger I watched Greece and I was always like oh my god those women are just amazing I'm going to smoke. I'm going to have one of those little smoke, you know, cigarette holder things and everything. I'm going to be so cool. And my mum forbid me from ever smoking. So naturally, as soon as I was able to get anywhere away from her, I was smoking.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was never as cool as you, Catherine. I remember really trying to smoke. I think I think only ever on my own, like literally so that I could then go and you know be with the cool kids which is probably you know still still the kind of thing i do in in life it's like i'll practice and then if i'm good enough then i might possibly do it in public Uh, i just remember finding them utterly disgusting which obviously i I was i was lucky to to have that experience
0: yeah i I don't think anyone has them and thinks oh this tastes so amazing okay it's always like i'm just going to be cool i'm amazed as well because we live near a secondary school i'm amazed at how many kids come out of the secondary school and they're not smoking, they're vaping. And I'm like, I'm thinking, why? And I'm there kind of thinking, hang on a minute, why are you vaping? Why aren't you just having cigarettes, you know? And it's not that I want them to have cigarettes, but it just seems so bizarre to me that vaping is the new cool, in a sense, I, I, I don't know.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? I think that's quite regional. Um, so we'll come on to vaping and use, I guess, at some point inevitably during this, but I guess anecdotally, um, amongst my friends who are vapers or ex-smokers, there's something in there that they would say, those with teenage kids, where vaping is something that their parents do and therefore is incredibly uncool. Um, yeah. so, so my footpath, like you, I live in a secondary school, and I must admit, and it's not, you know, I think one of the problems with vaping is is there's so much anecdotal stuff. Yeah. But our, our, our footpath It's still reassuringly cigarette laden. It's It's changing all the time. And that's one of the, that's why it's interesting and important both, from an underwriting perspective, to get the risk, and from an advisor perspective, mm-hmm. to kind of recommend the best place to go.
0: Well, I've got some before you. So I let you loose with your underwriting and all this kind of stuff. So I've got some stats and things, and just general comments and things I've seen recently running up to this. So I was doing some research, and it says that roughly five to six percent of um, adults in the UK are vapers, and that the primary reason that people start using them is that they're wanting to, to quit smoking. Only four percent of people who are trying to quit smoking go down the vaping route. So the still 96% of people who are wanting to stop are still using obviously your older more traditional methods I think I was also looking at some um, surprising statistics and I found these actually a little bit offensive and I thought it's so it hits home to me sometimes why I don't like statistics and why I'm very much more of a qualitative type person but I was looking at the Office of National Statistics and they were saying that people who are using vaping are generally they're saying that it's people who are in manual jobs live in social housing of low education they're single and that they're gay lesbian or bisexual and they're far more likely to be smokers um and actually i say i found that quite offensive because um i I thought it, it, it kind of made it seem i felt like it was kind of negative towards those kind of groupings and also everybody that i know that's a smoker doesn't actually fit into any of those categories anyway. So it just it really, really surprised me. I know, obviously, statistics are statistics and that, but it just, I don't know. I don't like that.
1: There's so many different stories within the, as you say, the 5% of vape, people who do vape nowadays um, or in numbers terms. And I, so I think my numbers, are there's roughly 2 million people who only vape and about another 2 million who smoke and vape. Um, and clearly within there, there's going to be massive massive differences okay. um, that said yeah there's no hiding the fact that smoking has you know mm-hmm. is more uh, frequent among different socioeconomic groups and different groups and things like that so I guess at public health level then those stats become useful I'm trying to think of a okay. like as for insurance where the protection gap is a crap uh, number and thing to use in terms of just you know but it but it might help a new insurance company launch a business thing, when you actually apply it to an individual, it it means nothing. One thing that you talked about there of this, people using vaping to to give up is is I think something we'll increasingly see. Um, So clearly, and I don't think anyone would disagree that the the best thing to do is, (laughs) the best thing to do is to be like me. Uh, The best thing to do is is never smoke, right? Not even those one and a half cigarettes. Never smoke anything and the best thing to do if you smoke today is to give up all smoking and no one, you know, not even the keenest uh, vape enthusiast would, would claim anything else for, for, from a health perspective, from a physical health perspective. In theory, or sorry, no, at the moment there isn't enough evidence to link um, vape products with successfully helping you give up smoking. There's quite a lot of anecdotal evidence, and I think it is one of the things that uh, vape companies are looking to develop. So you will now see, if you go around supermarkets, some vape-type products, e-liquids and things like that, you put into your e-cigarettes, can now, in, can now be sold in the, in the sort of pharmacies of supermarkets. They're not necessarily behind the tobacco counter. They can't be advertised as helping you give up smoking. So I think things like that and how they're positioned varies totally by different countries. So The UK has quite kind of relaxed, progressive, if you want to use that word, uh, laws and regulations around it. But even here, there still kind of can't be that claim made yet um, in the way that, let's say, for Alan Carr, you know, giving up smoking things and, and, and other tools and techniques, uh, they, are, they are used. But there are increasingly links into GP surgeries Uh, and things like that and I I, certainly if you look at the direction of travel it wouldn't be a surprise to me if you do see GPs sort of prescribing uh, e-liquids or things like that in in the not too distant future.
0: I mean, the thing for me is, and this is obviously, we always come at this, and I think everyone probably thinks that we're probably going to do this, but I'm going to come on saying, give everybody insurance, you know, nobody's a risk, and that you're probably going, to mm, well, t- turn it down a bit, Catherine. Now, we're actually the opposite way in this, I think, in some ways. I don't think we're like massively into each other's ball area, but, you know, I'm quite nervous and cautious about um, e-cigarettes, because to me, to me there's not enough research just so like you know we're mentioning last week with some rare conditions like you know and things like that we said well actually the insurers are like this because there isn't really enough research yet they've not been funded enough to dump in this with these cigarettes we're still it's in such as infancy and the long-term risks of it i know that i I don't know what this is fully but i know there's something called popcorn lung or something that's associated with vaping do you can you sort of explain that side of it to me
1: for me as a risk person, um, and putting that hat firmly on and the headphones in and not taking account into anything else, then that first question is always, what is the risk of this? And it doesn't matter whether it's e-cigarettes, whether it's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, whether it's anxiety, you kind of have to be completely blind to the emotion behind that and the stories behind that and just go, well, as you say, what, what's the risk? And interestingly there, that kind of ends takes us to a place on this where you do kind of go the similarity for many underwriters and risk people is is HIV on this as an emerging risk where there isn't you know you, you go back to the 90s and noughties with HIV and go well the, all of the trends there were looking positive but there wasn't the 25 years worth of experience etc and and that's exactly where we are today with with vaping and and e-cigarettes and and this whole world around us so to popcorn lung and things like that explicitly you often have different science between people who have been smoking for a long time um, and who then move to vaping Um, you have different flavors and different things in different e-liquids globally Um, and so and you have the different technology of the different e-cigarettes and different kits globally so certainly, when you throw the cast really well, and, and you have legal and illegal liquids and, and and homemade kits, so as much as there's kind of home brew, and as disgusting or occasionally pleasant as that can be, you know, amplify that many times by by for, for e-cigarettes. So much more so, I guess, than, than with a traditional medicine where you where you yes have some ups and downs and some. Um, new treatments that end up having side effects. Clearly here you also have all that unregulated piece and, as I say, this critical thing of going, you typically are looking at people who have, who have been smoking for 25, 30 years anyway. And it's, and it's unpicking all of that um, that, that, you need, that you need to try and be doing here, while also, I think, in my opinion, recognising that for life insurers always to say, well, we'll come back to us in 25 years' time and we'll have an answer – isn't a good enough turnaround time, um, particularly when the reality is is that whatever's in e-cigarettes in twenty five years will almost definitely be different to what's in there now, uh, and that is a challenge because yes, it's it's new stuff, but it's not hugely new now. You know, there were I think it started more in North America, and you certainly got sort of coming on for the best part of ten years of experience of for some individuals now. Um, so so yeah it's time to sort of be brave and, and make decisions on things and recognize that things will still go wrong or right but i think i think i think frankly people are running out of time to wholly go this is new we don't know what's going to happen
0: but a little bit of a, a side route as well though because you know obviously we're chatting i we we talked about this previously and um, between us in many ways i know that it's really important for insurers to do this but in some ways you kind of think well how important is it in regards to what's going on to people's lungs and different things like that? Because, you know, at the moment it's a simple question. So, like, if somebody is if somebody is a smoker, it's very likely that the GP knows about it. Different things like that. But if someone's a social smoker, the GP's probably not going to know about it, and they could easily just say no on those forms, and the insurers aren't going to know. Any different, really? Um, but there was something else that we, I um, say, we spoke about where we were talking about. Some, one of my team brought it up, M um, Jade, and it was it was an incredible question when we were chatting, and she basically said, "Well, do insurers um, price differently for people who are living in London compared to us here?" Because, well. Do we get up in, up in Yorkshire by the sea, you know, where we're just all out in nature and everything? Do we get charged the same as someone in the middle of London who's amongst all that congestion and everything? And, um, and I watched a a QI recently and on it, um, Sandy Soxvick was saying that, um, there was the stats to say that one 20 minute journey on the underground is equivalent to smoking a cigarette. So all those people who are commuting doing the underground, you know, all day, every day, a couple of hours every day, you know, they're an equivalent doing potentially just as much damage to their lungs as someone who is a smoker so kind of where where do we draw the line with this or is there potentially areas that insurers are missing in regards to risk so there's
1: definitely areas that insurers are missing with regards to risk um postcode pricing is being talked about for a long time for a number of different reasons and i guess you start from the you know people in glasgow on average die a long time before people in surrey um, and that's irrespective of what's in their lungs. That's a lot about lifestyle, and it's a lot about the medical questions that we ask anyway. So, so I guess the first thing there is, are we double counting? So if we, if we were to start charging more, is the risk that actually you, you double count? And for a lot of those lung conditions, you'd expect to see symptoms by the times we underwrite them anyway. Um, so the reality is, is those people are probably going to disclose more people, living in London he pauses slightly to know whether this will be true you would expect more people living in London in central London to disclose lung problems than people living by the lovely sea in in Yorkshire Um, now that's not wholly true and obviously it will you know it will affect people at different points in their lives it does become that specific example does become one of the challenges with um, having different rates or approaches for vapors to smokers to non-smokers. So the traditional test for smoking that insurers will often randomly select people to, to see when they disclose if, if they're being truthful or lying is the cotinine test. and That just checks to see if there's nicotine in your, in your blood or in your urine, sorry.
0: Hang on, I thought the coating test was a swap in your cheek.
1: Yeah, sorry, it can it can be all all those different things. So yeah, oh wait, I, okay. No, I, yeah, sorry. As I as I go down the start, I, I I always start as an underwriter. I always start by wanting to stick needles into people, and then I gradually come back from that. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm glad you're not my underwriter.
1: <laughs> but but that's one. Of, so going forward, going forwards, then I think one of the challenges is, so when you look at other tests that are a bit smarter frankly than just seeing if there's nicotine in your blood because nicotine isn't actually something that kills you nicotine something you get addicted to um then when you look at those things and that's where you often do hit this kind of well they either vape or they live in central London you know there's 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 lots of bad things or lots of interesting things let's say in their lungs but identifying exactly what can be difficult so that's been one of the challenges is finding tests that kind of conclusively show what's happening because I think you you do end up with a lot of these things where you go you could price more accurately taking some of those things into account but Is it socially acceptable? What's the general benefit to it, et cetera? So that's kind of where we end up on those.
0: Alan Ake came out in cover recently with some pretty shocking statistics, actually, of how much... Um, smoking can increase the chance of cancer. So I believe it was for. He talked about something called pack years in regards to cigarette smoking. I've never heard that before, and so it was really interesting to see that. I'm not even going to pretend that I understand the calculations. I've just, you know, I can't do it in my head. Um, sort of because we're just chatting because it's. A, I don't know enough about it yet. But um say so it was, if you were smoking, it increases the risk of lung cancer men by 1600%. And then the risk of cervical cancer increases by 46% um, if you're a smoker, compared to 15% if you have um, for breast cancer. And I thought those were really surprising because obviously the prevalence of things like breast cancer and prostate cancer gets so much more attention because it happens so much more often. But actually, smoking seems to increase the chance of these other cancers dramatically. And I don't think... I was really surprised when I saw those statistics. I don't think people necessarily... Know those figures to hand, and I'm, I'm surprised that we don't have them more to hand just generally.
1: I, I think that's where I get passionate and angry about what insurers are doing at the moment. Um, and, and I don't get passionate and angry about insurance all that often. Um, the single best thing a smoker can do for their health is to give up smoking altogether. Uh, it's not to take up running, it's not to improve their diet, it's to give up smoking. And to the pack years thing, no, even if you've been smoking for 40 years, um. Once you stop smoking for one month, six months, one year, the, the impact, and it is one of those, it's where we need um, a video podcast. If, if you go and Google the images of lungs at different time periods after you give up smoking, it's incredible. Whether, whether you look at existing policyholders for insurers, where insurers are quite happy to kind of throw out lots of potentially useful support services, value-added services, but with one or two exceptions, don't really engage with smokers about the prospect of them giving up smoking. Maybe even more worryingly for insurers, you have this almost sort of dirty secret where you go, Well, so what's in it for the insurer with an existing policyholder? Or if that insurer persuades and helps someone to give up smoking, a good advisor 12 months later would say, Right, good news. Now it's time to go and rebroke your policy um, and get you get your non-smoking terms, which is all that's exactly what an advisor should do in those situations, subject to the health not having changed. But the kind of the economics for that insurer become very difficult in that situation. And I think that's the key thing to get over with these things, is the fact today is that most insurers still deal with vapors exactly as they do with smokers. But that doesn't mean that every actuary or underwriter every insurer thinks that vaping is the same risk as smoking i'll say hardly any do i I don't know any who do believe that but but by the time you kind of pull apart all the different bits of pricing and the market and everything like that it becomes very difficult to offer those terms but what but what you end up is you you are today i believe in a place where those that five percent of people those two million people are effectively subsidizing 95% of people. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. Um, that That's where I kind of come to on it. That's my passion and anger over. And I'll, I'll, I'll revert now to my sense of risk.
0: Well, I think, you know, we do have it where obviously there an a show who will look at e cigarette users as non smokers. So, you know, there is that progression there. There was also. Um, uh, Gary Pittman from AIG was contacting me because he was giving us feedback, lovely feedback on the uh, podcast. Thank you, Gary. Um, and he was saying, obviously, for, for themselves, you know, on a sort of a case-by-case kind of consideration, um, obviously, they will look at it. So, say, if someone comes and says, well, look, I have a cigar on my birthday and at Christmas, they won't necessarily class them as a smoker. And I think that's a really positive. I mean, I do think if you're a smoker, then you have a much higher risk, and I fully understand why you pay more. Um Vapors, I, I'm a little on the bench, but, you know, I'm happy to be told, you know, I will bow to your knowledge and um, be okay about them not being sort of like priced, you know. Maybe there could be like a halfway pricing for vapors, maybe, um, as a until we know a bit more or something, maybe just a slow rating. But, you know, I think that kind of thing of an insurer, having that opportunity to go, you know what, actually... You know we get it sometimes you may have a, a nice cigar or you may do this i'm not sure how they feel about maybe if someone goes over to amsterdam for a weekend or anything like that but it would be interesting it's good that they have that kind of flexibility at times to understand that life happens we can't all be you know living perfectly and eating five fruit and veg a day and all this kind of stuff you know sometimes we want to do stuff and actually just live and if by living that means like once a year twice a year having a cigar or something then why not just enjoy yourself? It's not gonna do a massively huge detriment to your health, hopefully, touch wood. I'm gonna have someone say to me now that it will do. But. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, and it's it's not going to, and the reason, so so traditionally there's, in the UK, there's always been this binary approach to smoking uh, from an insurance perspective. So you either are a smoker or you aren't, and as you, as you say and allude to, and to kind of reiterate for people who aren't familiar, then that question is, have you had a cigarette, other tobacco product or nicotine replacement product in the last 12 months. And it's, in theory, is literally a yes and you are a smoker and a no and you are not a smoker. Clearly, that makes no sense at all from a risk perspective. But the main reason for justifying that does come back to this testing and being able to know if the person may have told the truth or not. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that's where we've kind of settled. In other markets around the world, different approaches are taken. In quite a lot of markets, there's still just aggregate rates. So smokers and non-smokers are all charged the same. And a lot of that does come back to your to your kind of, well, how, you know, what incentive is there, to be honest? And, and in some cultures, um, there is just a, well, it's not worth asking someone because they'll all lie and, you know. We know, we know that there's more than 0.5% of smokers in our population, yeah. so the only fair way to deal with it is to do that. I still think that looking forward in the UK, the way to go is to have, certainly in IFA land, is to have more than two, not not two or less, mm. different grades. And, it, and And I absolutely think that vaping falls between smoking and not smoking, and probably social smoking is another category within there as well. Yeah. Um, and, and because for both social smoking and vaping, and again this isn't this is this does go into certainly for vaping me too early to tell, but one of the worries that insurers have is well if you're still vaping products with nicotine in you are or you must be more likely that you'll yeah.
0: take up smoking again. I suppose we, it's it must be hard for insurers as well though when it came to a claim, wouldn't it? Because if they do introduce another level they so say, like if someone says, Well, I'm a social smoker, so I'm only gonna get a, this percentage rating, and then someone actually is a full smoker, how is the insurer going to know? And the same with like the e-cigarettes, you know, there could be people who are having obviously I know there's some insurers I think who treat e-cigarettes with um that are nicotine free different to people who are using e-cigarettes nicotine in them and it all comes down to how how would we possibly you know how are they going to know at that claim stage so it's even though as an advisor and as yourself you know we can be sat here thinking it's really frustrating because clearly someone having a nicotine free e-cigarette is less risk than someone who's smoking it does all come down to probably that proof of and when it comes to the claim, if you know, if they do die from obviously from probably cancer, we're assuming that's going to be the biggest risk here. How do we then know that they have been truthful at the start and that their premiums and extra, you know, everything else has been fairly allocated?
1: So that is a risk. Um, as a pragmatist, I'd still go down and go, well, you could, you could run that argument for quite a lot of existing questions that we ask. Um, and because we've always asked them, then we don't maybe throw that challenge at those existing questions quite as much. Um, There may well be ways that you, you know, bluntly, and and it's not commonly used in claims departments today, but sometimes people will look on social media accounts and things like that, um, and frankly, vaping and smoking is the kind of thing that you may well get a a sense of um, if someone's certainly doing it regularly or frequently. I think sometimes those arguments, while valid, are used to defend the status quo, uh, and and not to change things if the alternative is knowingly unfairly charging a group of people more than you would otherwise charge them then that that feels like at least something where in a in a competitive market people should be actively taking different positions and as you say some insurers are and i think the practical bit of this podcast is, is very much a keep your eyes on what's happening at the front line, understand the insurers, sometimes slightly different questions and slightly different question wording um, as to what's moving here and, and, and stay in touch with them on it. Bluntly, and, and I guess you'll have maybe more frontline experience than me of this, I think where insurers do move on stuff like this, they probably aren't going to shout about it Um, and and, and advertise it because it's not you know it's not like some of the other subjects we'll talk about mental health let's say where insurers kind of want the good publicity of it um they are nervous about what might happen so they kind of they'll want to do something i don't think any insurer is going to move in the short term we want 100% of vapors coming to us uh if they do great but i suspect it's more likely that you're going to pick up a a question wording change and go does this really mean this to a BDM, or and 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 then great?
0: Well, you never know. So there we go. A call to insurers now. If you're happy to be a vapor supporter, then let us know. But I mean, this is really something that you're passionate about, isn't it? You've been on two other podcasts recently, I think, about this.
1: I got into this partly initially through working with the Institute of Faculty of Actuaries, who have a who have a workstream specifically on this that published something last week that I think was out through the Actuary Magazine. So end of. February 2020 Um, but also yeah since then as as happens you become I guess a bit of a specialist so I did work some work last year with a tobacco firm who have a vape product um, and are looking at how insurers could could get into this so you know that's I guess a declared interest on this I'm not working with them at the moment uh, but I think you know to me the science becomes pretty overwhelming and as I say the reasons for insurers doing it are pretty un- well understood and it's not because of the science uh it's because of the business model is is the primary reason um yeah and so so i guess included in that so there's a amus association uh, medical underwriting society something like that a podcast that i did with neil daniels who's an actuary who leads that um committee and a um, brilliant lady called dr sharon cox who works at london south bank university uh going through the science and and, and why things aren't moving quicker so if you if you kind of like this but want less of the fluff and want more of the the science as to what's really going on when you breathe these things in then certainly um i I will push that amus one as and when it it comes to light
0: we can put a link for it on the website as well yeah you can see whereabouts it is
1: yeah that'd be really good and i guess one of the things i can't even remember if anyone said this on that podcast i think it was more it became my my kind of thing for the two weeks after that was it's a bit you know in in because often the argument is but lots of the same ingredients are in these things so how can it be so much better and someone came up with the well it's like potatoes you know and, and depending on how you cook potatoes and what you what other ingredients you put on them quite clearly if you all you eat is cheesy chips uh, that's quite a different risk to if all you eat is steamed potato you know new potatoes oh, but and cheesy chips are tempting i was gonna
0: say <laughs> <laughs> i'm now thinking of
1: cheesy chip years and how many yeah, cheese- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the questions. new
0: level of underwriting right so yeah. what do you eat how do you eat your chips <laughs> in, Something is,
1: uh, yeah we've grown up understanding hopefully <laughs> that one of those is quite good and one of those is definitely not good yeah um, and, and, and I think there is just some of that relearning um, from an understandably cynical uh, or sorry, sceptical and rightly sceptical population that goes, well, hang on, you know, a, a, a lot of these companies, tobacco companies don't exactly have a great track record with telling the truth to the public about the health of their products. Mm. Uh, and B, well, if 80% of what's in them is, is kind of the same, then how can it be so different? But yeah, I, I'm... I'm comfortable, very comfortable with the science. I think more importantly, much more importantly <laughs> than that, very intelligent people who have done a lot of research into this um, are increasingly comfortable. Um, and I think we need to react.
0: Fantastic. And do you have some case studies or something you were going to chat about? Cause I've got a question about somebody as well, case study-wise that Yeah, I-, I guess
1: my case studies probably partly are deliberately to highlight some of the madness of what's going on, but also to consider how you, um, And people like you would react so so to take my first one to say someone who's let's say he's 55 years old and has smoked for 35 years um a couple of years ago they had a heart attack and so gave up smoking um and so now are a non-smoker non-smoking 55 year old um (sighs) How would you expect to see that happen? And I, I guess I can do the risk bit. As oh, well.
0: how would I, what would I expect from a, for a what, client? What, what, if,
1: if 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 they came to you at, at Cura. Um, oh,
0: you're putting me on the what, spot. Would yeah. you?
1: Would you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I It's nice. I get to go first once. All so. right. Oh, right.
0: So do you mean like, yeah. I a look with the questions I'd ask them and things like that? Oh, do you mean? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if someone comes to us in that situation, we'll be asking them how many cigarettes they used to smoke when they gave up smoking, um, things like that. If they're using any alternatives or anything with regards to the heart attack, we'll be asking them. Uh, when they were diagnosed with a heart attack, um, if it was just the one time, if it happened multiple times, other things like, you know, have they had any lasting complications at all from it? Um, It depends upon, you know, sometimes it depends on the level of cover they want, but if it's, you know, kind of a straightforward heart attack then it probably would be it's much more simpler than possibly trying to say to them right have you actually had any permanent damage done to any of the um valves or anything around the heart you know what the doctors are saying to them now they're saying now that they are a non-smoker that everything's brilliant or are they still saying well actually you're a non-smoker fantastic but your cholesterol is still like a quite a high level quite dangerous level your blood pressure is still quite the medications that they have to take possibly any restrictions that they have in regards to being able to work stuff like that that's kind of We'd go around sorry, asking all the different bits and everything. And um, I hope that's everything I've covered over. I can imagine Alan listening to this and just going, you've missed out that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm put on the spot. I wasn't expecting this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, and I think the honest point there is to go, actually, that's at least as much or more than most insurance yeah. companies are going to ask, which is why yeah. you do what you do. But almost to most insurers still today, that person comes through as a non smoker and that smoking history in particular yeah. is almost, is almost forgotten. And it might be. That within when assessing the heart attack and and those extra questions, that those things are taken into account. Someone who hasn't been smoking all that time is on average at better risk, um, and and therefore actually when that decision comes to be made for that individual, they're going to be treated as a non-smoker who's had a heart attack, and therefore probably get surprisingly good terms. I suspect. So I think you'd potentially be looking at kind of a plus one hundred plus 150 loading for that person that was continuing to smoke now um that then you'd see a very different story so i think really just wanting to emphasize wherever you are in life whatever the prompt for for that decision then then insurance does quite quickly become available and at a cheaper point um yeah, so, so so that was that one i guess then to show the other side of things and i'll just kind of quickly talk through so looking say at a 30 year old who's smoked for let's say, let's be realistic, let's say they've probably smoked for 10 years or admitting to smoke for 10 years and then switched to vaping and only vaping for the last three years and are currently in good health. So I think I think we're saying there that for most, for most of the market, then those people are still going to, that individual still going to be charged smoker rates, um, potentially depending on what type of e-cigarettes they vape. Um, Then and and what's in those, then that may affect whether they can get cover. Um, And if you go to the right advisor or broker, then you may well be able to find that um, those vapour rates or or even non-smoker rates available to that person.
0: It's quite a difference with that last one as well, because it's not just this case of going, all right, well, they've had a hard attack. Oh, they're a vapour now. Right, I need to go for where I can get them as a non-smoker. Because it could be that you know, the, the insurers that can offer the, I'm not I'm not saying it is, but I'm just, you know, off the top of my head, just saying it could be that the insurers that can offer potentially the non-smoker rates actually rate the heart attack much less favorably than someone who can accept them as a smoker. So it, it may end up, you know, I wouldn't say automatically launch yourself towards a, oh, there are a vapor, I must go here. You know, there is, other risks that need to be um, obviously taken into account as well.
1: If you have a smoker, or if you have someone whose health is changing, then always make sure your next policy don't don't lapse that existing policy. So I think quite often you hear stories where, yeah, someone has someone is now a non-smoker, um, and but has he- has had health conditions in the interim, and that question as to whether to lapse the existing policy or not is you know shouldn't be rushed.
0: Absolutely. The other thing I want to just check with you, um, because we've had this question before, is what happens if someone's a non-smoker and they take out the policy? Not necessarily what happens, what should happen if someone is a non-smoker, takes out the policy but then starts smoking maybe two years down the line? Is there a duty on them to inform the insurer?
1: So no, there's no duty on them to inform. Let's go back to in the same way as if they decided they wanted to start jumping out of planes or travelling mm-hmm. to ridiculous places. That that uh, duty of disclosure is entirely at the at outset and and not not at any point.
0: Well, I know we've had it before when we've spoken to insurers and um, and they have said, "Oh no no no, we must know if you know if this will become a smoke." And we're just kind of like, "What?" You know, because. Yeah. <laughs> i had a minute so i think that's have you got any more case studies i think that was pretty much I and mean, we covered over mine in the middle of chatting about yours anyway so that was quite good for me um so um so next time that we have a chat we'll have just been on the cover mental health conference together on panel
1: yes yes we nice. physically see each other i know would very than, strange we, <laughs> <laughs> yes i know looking forward to that i, I did you, you weren't uh, the last cover mental health one, were you? I know you've done cover events before. I,
0: no, I wasn't able to attend down. I'm assuming no. most people know, but not everyone knows. I do have three young children. They are eight, um, five, and two. And um, almost all of the grandparents have health conditions. So it's really hard for me to actually get down to London. And I think probably towards the end of this year, when Zachary starts going to school properly, um, it will become almost impossible for me to come down unless people want to start arranging things in like half terms and during the summer and things like that then i can definitely come down (laughs) i can just come down en masse like usual but no i wasn't able to get to the last one unfortunately i'm assuming it was very good though i read up about it afterwards and it seemed excellent yeah
1: i i no i uh, you always risk offending every other event you've been to let's go It it was in my top three events of last year I can can pretend that I can say that about seven times about things, but it genuinely was. In terms of um, number of takeaways, um, just interest, and and actually having some very different sort of speakers and and all of that. So I'm really looking forward to it this year. Um, I like the idea of events during half terms as well. I think one of those, at the moment, people are so structured in the, you can only do events outside school holidays, um, but actually... Yes. As a working parent, it'd be great if I had an excuse to get away from the kids in the holidays, which I think is what you
0: did. <laughs> I'd be bringing them with yeah, me.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, each um, right. know,
0: yeah. I mean, the thing is as well, though, is, and I'm, and I'm not saying this is just purely women and sort of men, but obviously, it, I think it is still generally the case that women tend to be more... Yeah the ones that are looking after the children and so it would just open up opportunities for so much more women and especially from us who you know obviously it takes me a good generally five hours to get to London um you know, it's not easy when you have kids because then there is always that worry as well when you've got kids that if something happens to them then you're five hours away and it's not easy to us well we are it is not easy. as you know Andrew when he came and saw us it was much easier to take the car yeah. than it is to try and get the trains to where we are it's not easy but on that kind of line of thought as well I just want to um, do a bit of a shout out because it's International Women's Day on the 8th of March and I really want to do a, sh- a shout out to Greta Thunberg and I know she won't hear this I know she won't see it or anything but I just think I come from an environmental background that's where my um, my PhD is in environmental business management and I just think she's doing so much such incredible work and I don't know if you saw any of the stuff that she has and it follows on from that um, social media bullying that we were talking about last week and um, after the, obviously the very unfortunate death of Caroline Flack and this um, I saw these tweets on um, obviously on Twitter and it was about Greta and it was about this um, group of gentlemen at an oil company that have been sharing and posting this um, cartoon that's been created of her, of her being viciously sexually assaulted. Because they disagree with the fact, obviously, of what she... The fact that she's trying to raise climate awareness and things. And I just thought, you know, I just wanted to say that, you know, good honour. And, you know, that I'm sure that there's many, many women like me who absolutely stand with her and just... You know, it's just unbelievable what we're what we're seeing at the moment. And I really hope that, especially as well coming up to the mental health conference and everything, that we're gonna at some point soon I don't know how, but we've seen some kind of a change of tide with the way that social media is going at the moment because it is so easy for people to hype out avatars and it's so easy for people when we're face to face. We have social constructs, in a sense, that are built into us that stop us from saying things and from filtering things sometimes. And it just feels at the moment that social media has just given people, not I think not the majority of people, but just given nasty people the opportunity to just not have any kind of filter on what they say anymore. And um, I think she's an incredible young woman, and um, to carry on doing what she's doing um, and with what she must be facing um, with the communications towards her, I think is just incredible
1: holy wholly agree, wholly agree with all of that um and it is amazing, as you say with children once you have children yourselves and I guess seeing people like that, it does just make you realize how much of an inspiration they can be to our children and 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 to others in a way frankly that we will never be <laughs> um absolutely but, but equally yeah it's it's terrifying you know the, the, to to see some of the some of the stuff that's thrown at her and people like her
0: absolutely so. Going on to a more lighter note then, just to finish this off, we have our Truth our Life feature, which we know we know everybody loves so, so much.
1: And, and, and this is specifically designed around the fact we're going to be an event together, right? So it's a physical event together, so we thought we should have something physical this time in, in the next fortnight.
0: Everybody's going to be, well, based upon these answers, though, everyone's going to be looking at us really, really closely, Andrew, it's going to be a little bit, ooh. Okay, then, right, so mine mine is is that I have seven tattoos.
1: Okay, and mine is that I have one piercing.
0: You see, I like yours because on the main reason as well, Andrew, is that we all know you and we know you don't have your ears pierced or any facial piercings. So So (laughs) my mind and everyone else's mind is now wondering, uh, I'm just wondering if you've got, you know, Full on nipples going, that's it. Yeah. Everyone's gonna be looking at your shirt now, <laughs> seeing it. <laughs> yeah. There's gonna be
1: some odd greetings, probably coronavirus legitimate greetings at the moment. Everyone's
0: gonna be hooking you, yeah, aren't they? Exactly. They're gonna be hooking you and just of like whooping ever so slightly against your <laughs> chest, like has you got one? Has you got one? <laughs> Don't I, I, do that. I look forward. So you're not rub yes. against anything. <laughs> I'm like, right then. So I'm all of them done with them for this one. Yes.
1: Yeah. So thank you all for listening. Um we really hope that you found this useful. This is good, right? So this this is where, much to listeners' surprise, there is a script for this bit, so I get to read out. If you have any questions that you want us to, to discuss, or if you want to disagree with Andrew, please do send us a message.
0: Hastily written whilst being attacked by a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's still entirely
1: fair. I'm not going to dare suggest anyone would have to disagree with you, Catherine. Thank you.
0: I like that. I don't like being a disagreed with. I'm sure most people could tell that. <laughs> we are going to be back in two weeks. And if you would like a reminder of the next episode, then please do um, get in contact. We'll put you onto our um, notifications list. We're going to be chatting about uh, mental health and we're going to try and keep it to the, um, well, under an hour, as I'm sure you can appreciate. I am extremely opinionated when it comes to mental health. And um, I'm sure that Andrew will have to rein me in at times. And we are both going to be on Covers upcoming mental health. Uh, health conference and we look forward to seeing uh, many of you there please do grab us drop us any messages Uh, you can obviously see us all on social media and you can visit us on our brand new website uh, which is www.practical-protection.co.uk I can't ever do that without trying to do the Catherine Tate voice you know when she used to do it on that show and she did it well she was always www (laughs) I just I try really hard each time not to do it I'm convinced I am (laughs) So I shall leave you all that with the right and Tate (laughs) impression (laughs) and speak to you all very soon. So see you later.
1: Thanks all. Take care. Bye.